This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Thursday, February 3rd. Derek Manriper, Bricciaroli, Eno Saris here with you as we close out our series, trying to complete the offseason puzzle for five teams in a particular division. We're focusing on the NL East today. And as it stands, I believe Rob Manfred saw his shadow yesterday, which means we have six more weeks of lockout. Honestly, read Ken, read Evan, because... I have nothing else to add on the state of the negotiations between the league and the Players Association at this time. But uh, we've got a jam-packed show, so we're going to get right after it. Let's start with the World Series champions. Britt, this is an Atlanta team that didn't do a lot prior to the lockout. They brought in Kirby Yates on a two-year deal, not a guy that's necessarily going to help them right away as he's working his way back from injury. They re-upped Orlando Arcia and Guillermo Heredia, just a couple of depth guys there, and brought in Jay Jackson. The looming question is, are they going to re-sign Freddie Freeman? I was surprised to see that even without Freeman, they still project as a top-eight team by war, which is remarkable. Uh, This is also a team that would have a nice little boost if a healthy Mike Soroka became something they had in their rotation for a good portion of the season. But let's just start with the Freeman question. Is it 50-50 that he stays in Atlanta? Is it better than that? Because it seems like a clear and obvious need for them to remain in a position to maybe be legit co-favorites with the Mets in the NL East. I would think it's better than that. Because if you're the Braves, how can you let that guy finish his career somewhere else? He came up with the Braves. He was the last link to the last real good Atlanta Braves team. He suffered through this rebuild, these awful years. You win the World Series with him. He's still performing well. This isn't a guy that you're just extending a courtesy to. He's still performing well. And maybe it's just me because every time he plays the Nationals, and obviously I'm based here in this area, he's an absolute Nationals killer. Uh, But I don't know how you don't keep a guy like this. You know, I don't know how you squabble over a couple of million dollars with a guy like this because somebody else will sign him. I mean, Yankees fans are kind of drooling at the prospect of a guy like Freeman being available. Um, other teams could certainly use him as well. I think it's going to be 80-20 with Atlanta signing him. I think it would just be a massive failure, even though, as you mentioned, they're getting back some guys. Ronald Acuna, a whole year of him. People forget uh, what they didn't have this year. But the Braves just can't lose Freddie Freeman, in my opinion. He's numbers-wise, he's great, but it's also beyond the numbers too. He's a clubhouse guy. He's a leader. He's going to help that next young group up. Uh, I don't see a Braves team that is publicly owned that has a lot of money um, hiding behind the fact that oh, we can't afford to keep him. Yeah, I think what might be going on here. I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing the case against, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let me say that I don't necessarily. I, I agree with you in a lot of fronts, and I think that uh, I think that Freddie Freeman also stands out from this group that I'm about to uh, to point out. But first basemen have not been a good investment, you know, historically. So if you look <laughs> at the top ten first basemen of all time, the top highest, the highest paid first baseman of all time, you got Miguel Pereira, Albert Pujols, Votto, Prince Fielder, Mark Teixeira, Chris Davis, Adrian Gonzalez, Eric Hosmer, Todd Helton, and then actually Friedman himself. 
uh, in the last deal. So that's the, your top 10. If you add it all up, you get about 140 war for uh, almost $2 billion that was spent on them. And you're spent about $13 million per war. Now, I know there's people who don't care about war. I know there's like, uh, you know, some, um, there's maybe some positional adjustment things that are wrong with first base. Maybe it's a little bit more, but 13 millions is, is way ahead of like over that same time frame. teams spent about half that uh, per, per win. So it, it's, it's been historically been bad. And then if you take Freeman off because Freeman signed his last deal when he was 25 and the rest are all like 30 year olds and, 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 and Freeman is 32 now. Uh, if you take Freeman off, it's worse. It's $20 million per, per war. Um, and you pretty much, you've got a lot of busts on here. You've got Chris Davis, uh, that Prince Fielder deal was bad. The Pujols deal was really bad. I know Miguel Cabrera is a future Hall of Famer, but the deal, the, the last deal that he signed, the $248 million deal he signed when he was 33, he's given them five wins since. So it hasn't been, uh, that wasn't a good deal. So I think just, I'm not trying to say they shouldn't sign him. I think that they're just worried they don't want to put another entry on this list. They don't want to sign another old third, you know, first baseman and get the worst part of his career. So they're just arguing, hey, let's make it more like, you know, 125 million or uh, you know, 130 million and he's probably asking for something like 180 million, like what Teixeira got, you know, so many years ago. Um, and I could see why somebody in that front office might be saying, "Hey, what about all these busts at first base? Like they didn't work out." Yeah, I get that, except there's always an anomaly, right? Like a Nelson Cruz, people would be like, stay away from that guy two, three years ago even. Mm -hmm. And he still continues to hate. He said, this is play well. Max Scherzer's contract, people panned in D.C. and said, well, you're never going to get that. Look at the free agent um, signings for pitchers. Look how bad all those signings have been. And you look at that contract and it's been such a good contract. You have to ask yourself, like, if the Braves go to a World Series again, or even if they don't, uh, has Freddie Freeman done enough that people are going to look favorably on that contract? People never looked favorably on the Chris Davis contract. Nobody wanted to sign Chris Davis to that contract except for Orioles owner, Peter Angelos. That wasn't even a good deal at the time. I'm wondering how many <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> of those contracts, those were older guys, as you mentioned, like I'm wondering how many of those contracts at the time, like pool hosts at the time, you're like, that's a bad deal. You know, like I, I think, if they sign Freddie Freeman, will people say that right now? Do you guys think like, oh, that's that's a bad deal? I don't think so because of the success they just had coming off a World Series win, having him be the core of this team for so long and obviously having more help in recent years has made them perennial contenders. Right. I mean, even though they won it without Acuna in the postseason last year, that group joining him has brought them to this sort of perennial contender level, I think, because of the extremely team-friendly deals that Acuna and Albies have, Atlanta has a little extra wiggle room to keep Freddie Freeman around, to keep people happy. Mm -hmm. And maybe it, we have to rethink this. Think about a contract like the one that Max Scherzer signed with the Mets this offseason. Maybe for a first baseman on the wrong side of 30 to get paid, it has to be really high AAV, but shorter terms, right? The, the length of a lot of those contracts you guys were talking about historically were why they were so problematic for the teams that signed them. So if you look at Freeman, you look at his plate skills, you look at the way he hits the ball, and you say, I'm looking at the three-year Zips projections right now. Let's just say those are right, where we're talking about a four-win player this year and a three-and-a-half win player in 2023 and maybe just a below a three-win player in 2024. If you pay a player like that full market value, which would be probably even more than he'd actually get, 
I don't think that burns you if the length of the deal is only three or four years. So if you look at it as more of like a four-year, $140 million deal, it would look a lot different in terms of number of years than previous deals. Maybe that's where they can find a middle ground, where he gets paid almost as the highest paid AAV position player in baseball because of the shorter nature of the deal. Maybe that's where they can find a middle ground. And maybe if you're a first baseman seeing these historical trends, maybe that's actually the better long-term outcome for similar position players in the future who are in this group. Yeah, I think that's exactly what the Dodgers, you know, there was that rumor that the Dodgers were suddenly interested in, in Freddie Freeman, right? right? Right before we got locked out. I think they're, they're 100%. The Dodgers love that. They love doing big short-terms. They've loved it since they signed Manny Ramirez to like a two-year, $50 million contract all those years ago. So, you know, I could totally see the Dodgers doing that. I think that maybe part of why Freeman lasted is some of this, what I'm saying of these, you know, they haven't been a good investment in the past. And then some of what you're saying is that maybe a higher AAV deal is better and all the teams wanted to know what the competitive balance tax looked like, what revenue sharing looked like, because it's, you know, for the when it comes to the competitive balance tax, you want longer because you want to stretch that money out and you don't want to have the big AAV every year. The, the way it counts towards your luxury tax is they take the entire contract and average it out all those years. So you kind of want it to be longer so it doesn't have that cap hit, uh, you know, from to borrow from other sports. But, uh, you know, if you if if, you know, the league's position right now in in negotiations is they want less uh, revenue sharing, and they want a higher competitive balance tax. Both of those things might be really relevant to uh, who's a big suitor for Freddie Freeman and what they want to do uh, with his contract, if they want it longer, if they want it shorter. So I think that's probably why Freddie Freeman's still out there. The other question, though, I have for both of you is what do you do if you're in their position, regardless of Freeman? What else do you need to consider addressing. I thought the one thing they should focus on is finding another veteran to help round out the back of the rotation because with Soroka rehabbing the Achilles again, probably missing a sizable portion of the season, the depth could be tested very quickly. And I think you want to go ahead and get out in front of that by adding a little more depth right now so you're not grinding that rotation down too much or burning out your bullpen over the course of the season because your your fourth and fifth starters aren't getting deep enough into games. I mean, do you think that's a key must-add sort of piece for them, Bricks? A lot of the guys they've lost, Rosario, Peterson, so those are guys they traded for to fill in holes as a result of the Ozuna suspension last year and the Acuna injury. With those guys back in the fold, you're not replacing them, but Drew Smiley seems like a, a role that needs to be replaced on this roster. No, I agree. I think pitching depth in general, especially what people don't realize is when you, they call it the World Series hangover, right? Players do because they pitched an extra month and it wasn't just an extra month. It was a high stress, high leverage extra month where they were all running on fumes. So guys started their off seasons a month later. Uh, guys are going to be a little behind. Guys kind of talk about having you no know, dead arms or just not feeling right a year after being pushed to the limits. And all of the Braves pitchers were pushed to the limits. So I think you do go out there and you get a starter. I think you go out there and you look at your bullpen and you can't expect those guys to have the same kind of year again. Bullpens are incredibly cyclical. So you have to really kind of overstock because, again, you pushed everybody to the limits to win the World Series. Yeah, I think that makes uh, all the sense in the world. On the horizon, they do have uh, some position players that should be big league ready, if not now, very soon, Christian Pache is a great defender in center field. Still some questions about the bat. 
Drew Waters is tooled up. I think there's questions about his hit tool. So maybe we see some Drew Waters this year. And then they got Shea Langoliers behind the plate, who's not far away. Uh, we did see Spencer Strider come up for a late 2021 debut. Kyle Muller might be among the depth arms they could turn to at some point this season. But I mean, this looks like a mostly finished roster once you get past the Freeman and depth starter question. Is there any other glue you'd want to put on this roster, you know? I just wanted to point out, you know, that I think everybody wants another starter and there aren't any left. <laughs> I mean, there's Rodone, obviously. Rodone, yeah. <laughs> and, and and someone was kind of angry about me mentioning Drew Smiley in the last episode, but Drew Smiley is the only other free agent starter that has an above average stuff plus. Now, if you add command in, which is not a sticky year to year, um, there are some players, Tyler Anderson, uh, looks like he's above average. Um, I'm 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 done. I mean, Chris Archer <laughs> could be Danny Duffy. That's the end of the list. Yeah. Michael Pineda. So uh, you know, everyone everybody wants an extra starter, and those are your five above average starters, at least by my model. And I think I think most uh, team models sort of agree with that that assessment. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at this team as. Uh, legitimate contender again and and I think it, it all makes sense but the problem if you're Atlanta is that you have Steve Cohen spending and spending and spending to make the Mets as great as they can possibly be they've made several additions to try and close the gap based on war they've actually passed Atlanta uh, just based on where things stood when the lockout started they had Max Scherzer on that three-year deal Starling Marte on a four-year deal Eduardo Escobar and Mark Canha on two-year deals Prior to that, people were excited about Nick Plummer as an under-the-radar addition. Everyone has since forgotten about Nick Plummer. Sorry, Nick. Uh, there were some losses. Stroman's gone. Javier Baez is gone. Noah Syndergaard left. Aaron Loop left. Rich Hill left. Michael Conforto is still a free agent. Jonathan VR still a free agent. So they pieces left, but they've already gone out and filled a lot of needs. And I think the thing they did that's really important here, the addition of Scherzer gives them a lot more protection than they had last season when Jacob deGrom went down. If they do miss deGrom for a large portion of the season, as things are sitting here in the first week of February, we have no idea how many innings the Mets are going to get from Jacob deGrom. They're not totally screwed in the rotation the way that they were when they lost deGrom a year ago. So clearly the sky's the limit. They're not done it's a matter of what else can they add to this roster and, and how do they go about getting even better with the little bit of offseason that we'll eventually have left. I mean, you know, what's what's the must-get thing for you if you are in charge of the Mets right now? Could it be another reliever? I wouldn't be opposed to it. Does it need yeah. to be a lefty? So basically, you, you want to replace Aaron Loop. Yeah, I like Aaron Loop. I thought that was a good <laughs> signing. You, you really do like Aaron Loop a lot. <laughs> I mean, but Ito's hesitation speaks to it all, right? They don't really need a whole lot. They've made a lot of moves. I think it's also a question, Britt, if you can have excess somewhere and the Mets can have excess, what's the extra thing that you're going to do to send the message to the rest of the National League that, no, we're serious about this. We're not going to be LOL Mets anymore. We're actually going to build a high-quality team that wins the division and is a serious World Series contender. Yes, they are already at or near that level, but is it one more over-the-top addition, one more big trade? Like I, I wonder yeah. if that's what it actually is. Instead of just being the, let's round out the bullpen, which is totally practical, maybe there is one more splashy move up their sleeve. Yeah, maybe. But 
as you know pointed out there's no starters so that would be kind of a everyone always wants that kind of depth so yeah i don't know if they're going to make another splashy move or not what do you what do you guys think i feel like they've already added so many guys they just spent 11 and almost 12 million dollars 11.75 on buck showalter over three years mm. um the, the team has <laughs> invested which is the most ever in their history on a manager um the team has invested quite heavily um in a lot of guys what they did and what i like what they did is their offense last year was terrible um that was really kind of the key to their decline um and they went out and they really kind of upgraded in the outfield with starling Marte. uh they made some great additions eduardo escobar i feel like they're a better team because they push some of the guys who they were relying on into bench roles um and that just makes you a better team when you're not relying on Dominic Smith every day um, when you have the ability to uh, let him get some rest use him um, as a pinch hitter things like that I think you're just a a deeper team overall so I don't know if they need to make another splash I think no matter what you look at their offseason and you put it against almost anyone's I guess really anyone's especially right now I think uh, I think what they I think could use is a little bit of pitching depth and I know we just said the whole thing about there's not much out there and there's not much to be had. But if they went for a lefty in particular, and I'm thinking Yusei Kikuchi, Kwang Hyun Kim, or Danny Duffy, I think that there could be the opportunity to say to Tyler Megill, who's like a, a fun young starter, hey, we're not necessarily saying that you've lost your rotation spot. You know, let's have this extra lefty starter and maybe he's in the rotation or maybe he's that lefty out of the pen. Um, you know, those three guys, Duffy himself, I don't even know what the injury hiss looks like. And I know that's not exciting. If you're a Mets fan, you're like, what? That's our next splash. But they spent a lot, man. And I think, I think just a little smart spend on a lefty starter, uh, could, uh, could go a long way just to giving them really six really good starters on average teams use 10 starters a season, even more now. Um, Mm -hmm. and they get full heavy innings from seven. So Right now, David Peterson is your seventh starter. I think might be a little bit better to, to push him down a rung. I think there's some elevated health risk with some of the other starters in the rotation, too. Carlos Carrasco and Taiwan Walker. Even if you believe in them from a skills perspective, there's a below average health track record there that you have to be mindful of as you're trying to make sure you've got enough depth behind those guys as well. So it's not just the DeGrom issues that they have to worry about. It's really making sure that those veterans can stay healthy enough to be quality mid-rotation starters. And those guys aren't there for the long haul either. So I guess if I if I were in their shoes and I said, what's that one last thing we can do? It's not being the eighth team I've suggested to go sign Trevor Story and playing him <laughs> at second base. I don't think that's necessary. I think it's taking some of the depth they now have, bundling those guys. We talked about this on Rates and Barrels maybe a month or so ago, and going out and getting a starter that you'll have beyond this season. I think you want one more controllable starter, and now you've got major league-ready depth that teams that don't like to spend would actually take back in the return. I think we we had the A's as a good match for a trade. That's still very much there. It's it's something like that that I think really kind of puts this team over the top. That, that mid-rotation guy that could pitch at a slightly higher level if he continues to get better, that isn't coming off the books, isn't hitting free agency after this season or after the season beyond that, because I think that would go even further towards fortifying this core. Someone else you're going to have there, hopefully alongside of Scherzer and DeGrom for multiple years. I I think it makes sense, but I also kind of like what Britt said about, you know, this is really quality depth now. And so 
you know, maybe just use the money instead to to kind of improve your starting pitching depth as opposed to, uh, you know, having Dominic Smith, having Jeff McNeil um, as back as background players, uh, I think is, is almost a luxury that you want to have as a team like that. Sort of when like the Yankees signed DJ Mayhew and it seemed like they already had, you know, starting guys at every position on the infield, you know. It's like McNeil is a is a really high quality uh, kind of utility guy. Yeah, to me, this Mets team screams of like big splash at the trade deadline if they're where they want to be, right? Because Cohen's going to want to go all in. You may be able to actually get some, you know, decent players on other teams. Um, the Mets to me are, are kind of scream that, hey, we're really good right now. Let's wait and see how this goes, and then fill our needs in July. They easily go get like a Craig Kimbrell type, you know, on an expiring tron- contract, really good reliever, you know, give him a two-headed, you know, closer situation, three-headed. Yeah, especially I guess the the way if you pull back and say, hey, look, they're already projected to be a top three team today. Wait and see what flaws, what, what cracks in the foundation emerge first and then go out later and do more or less what Atlanta did to fill the, the small issues and then you know, get that over the top piece that you need as well. And then you're not necessarily getting up to the $300 million payroll for the full season. Maybe you get there after the deadline with, with the prorated addition of those salaries. But I'm curious, I don't follow Yankees Twitter topics all that much, but I'm curious how much the Mets current spending frustrates Yankees fans because it should, it should in a way humiliate Hal Steinbrenner that he's being outspent by the Mets. I hope the fans are like, putting his feet to the fire in all of this. Yeah, I think it's hard to right now, though, because offseason is like halfway. I mean, fans are probably still upset, but if we're sitting here in April, then we could probably get a better idea. If they do the Jose Iglesias plan. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, if they do the Iglesias-Brett Anderson plan, then... People then, will be very yeah. angry in the Bronx. <laughs> then we will get the wrath. But uh, I, I just think any any excuse that the Yankees had to not go up into the taxes is quickly being erased when the Mets are on the other side of town doing their thing the way they've been doing it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's move on to the Phillies. If you were listening to us on the Rates and Barrels feed for the better part of the last two years, at one point they may have been known as Brit's Phillies. It was kind of more of a joke. Um, this is not a team that Brit is very fond of for the most part. Additions so far, Corey Knable and Johan Camargo on one-year deals. I think the remaining needs for this team are clear its day. Upgrades in left field and, and maybe center field as well, and probably one more reliever because... I like the Corey Knable edition. That makes sense as the guy wearing a Brewers hat right now. 
but they lost Hector Neris. And part of the problem with this team has been in the bullpen for the better part of the last few years. So you can't add one good reliever and lose one of your better relievers and just say, yep, all right, all good, ready to go. This is a team that should be able to put runs on the board and has really good starting pitching. I think they're built actually a lot like the Brewers right now. So where do they go? What makes sense here? You know, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, who fits this Phillies team the best? Who would actually make this team a legitimate third option to contend for the division title? They're below replacement in left field, and they just let Andrew McCutcheon go. Who I'd be like, hey, there's a there's a nice cheap option <laughs> to improve. Um, uh, and they had him on a one-year deal, so I, I kind of doubt he's coming back. If they're going to make a splash money-wise, I think Schwarber – you know, would make a big, a big uh, impact there in left field for them, and would be a, a good uh, pick there. And I think Craig, Craig Kimbrell as a trade option is something that that bullpen needs. I like Corey Knebel a lot. Uh, you know, the Stuff Plus model loves Corey Knebel, but you know, injury wise, and then just it takes a full bullpen, not just one guy at the back. So they lost Hector Neris. I think they could use another reliever. So a Kimbrel Schwarber plan would, you know, bring them. By projections within a couple win of the wins of the Braves, probably right now it's basically 40 uh, wins above replacement for the Braves and uh, 36 for the Phillies. You know, I think Schwarber and and uh, Kimbrel would get them close, but that's before the Braves maybe sign Freeman. They the Braves are going to be you know changing their team too a little bit, but I think it would go a long way because they're below replacement in left field and uh, that bullpen needs a lot of a lot of uh, help, but. I think the main problem for them, center field, man, and I do not have uh, an answer for them. There's not really an answer on the free agent market. If you're looking at the best free agent center fielders, you're looking at Odubel Herrera, who just who just left town or, or just became a free agent. He's had a complicated, complicated history. I don't think I'm necessarily signing up for that again. Um, and so I don't think – and free agents is not a good place to get a center fielder because you really want that young – athleticism that depth so is there a, a center fielder i'm not thinking of that might be on the trade market i mean i think maybe cedric mullins if you can pry him away from baltimore makes a lot of sense because he's not super young but he's not old either and this is a phillies team that's kind of at least hoping to win now right they're not in a rebuild they're trying to win mm-hmm. um that what's interesting though guys you look at this and you're right like they're still behind atlanta they're still behind the mets they have such a fine line here and they're relying on Bryce Harper to be at or close to that MVP caliber again, right? They can't afford him to have a down year because you look around the rest of the outfield and you're like, eh, even Schwarber, he's going to add a little pop, but he's like an up and down guy and his defense is questionable. So, I mean, you still are definitely upgrading, but I don't know. The Phillies are kind of in an odd position and which is unfortunate because um, I don't like not saying nice things about them. Like I've said on rates and barrels, they just don't impress me. Um, they really need to overstock their bullpen because do you guys remember, I think it was 19 maybe or 20. They put all this money into their bullpen. They signed Tommy Hunter to some crazy deal that was like immediately bad. And then their bullpen was historically awful. Um, it just seems like no matter what they do, their bullpen is always an Achilles heel. So if I'm Dombrowski and Sam Fold, I am overstocking on arms. And what's unfortunate right now, I think, is that teams can't even sign most minor league free agents because if they have a day of service time, if they're an up-down guy and they they know they're just going to sign a minor league deal with an invite to big league camp, those guys are also part of the lockout 
as long as they have one day of service time. So teams can't even look around and try to find these guys to take a flyer on right now. And I think the Phillies should be first in line on guys to take a flyer on and invite to camp. If the Phillies could develop the ability within their front office to identify bounce back relievers as well as a team like the Dodgers or the Rays, it would really go a long way for them because this is this is not a bad core to have the starting pitching they have with you know Wheeler and Nola at the top, the emergence of Ranger Suarez getting bulk innings from guys like Kyle Gibson and Zach Eflin. That's actually a good major league rotation. That is a playoff caliber rotation if they stay healthy and they've got the one-two at the top that can go out and win against anybody for them, which I think is, to me, it's a sign that along with Harper being in his peak right now, if JT Real Muto being there on a long deal, keep pushing chips in. I, I wonder with the Mullins idea, I love that as a possible fit. I wonder if they have enough to pull a deal like that off with the Orioles. I wonder what that would really look like. I think it's it's possible. And I think a, a lot of our, our conversation last week with the Orioles, I, I probably sold some of their, their younger prospects a little bit short. I think it's going to be a big year for a lot of guys in that system. So maybe, depending on how the Orioles feel about their window, if they still feel like they're three years away, trading Mullins now makes a lot of sense. If those guys that I undersold or closer than I realized, and they see those guys being like a year or two off, holding on to Mullins a little longer, if they believe Mullins sustains what he's done, I could see that being justifiable too. But he'd be such a great fit for what the Phillies need right now. So I think that's definitely definitely a good call. The prospects coming up, I mean, it's a guy we've seen already. He's not a prospect anymore. Alec Bohm, maybe they get more from him. That'd be a boost for the offense. Uh, if Didi Gregorius continues to struggle, Bryson Stott could take over at shortstop. I think that would be a nice potential outcome for them as well. So definitely a good team. I think the name that stood out to me from a free agent perspective, if they're willing to spend some more money, Nick Castellanos or Michael Conforto. And I prefer Conforto because I think he'll require less in terms of years and dollars. And I think they've already allocated so many of their resources to some of the guys they have that it makes more sense for them to go the Conforto route. Plus, I think I like him quite a bit better defensively than Castellanos. Even if we have universal DH, I'd rather be committed to a guy that I can play in the outfield and not feel terrible about it than have a guy that only plays it when you really need him out there. If there's a name that could really help them, you know, I, I have some hope for Adam Hazley, but uh, I was I was asking around and I don't think that my optimism is necessarily shared. Um, you know, there, there's some question about uh, how much he wants to play. So there's going to be, there's going to be, uh, uh, that's a big question for them because he could be a, a piece for them. They really need a left fielder or a center fielder. He can play both those positions. Even as a backup, he'd be useful. I think it's Matt Vierling. And Matt Vierling, by outs above average, the stat cast uh, defensive metric, uh, was above average, not necessarily someone that you would see among the best center fielders. Uh, he also, you know, has played a lot of first base in his career, so it would be kind of the, the Cody Bellinger situation if he did make the switch to center. Uh, but uh, there's some in his profile, especially his minor league profile, some uh, some really interesting combination of power and patience and contact there that, you know, if he just, if he just clicks, uh, then that's a really different team, I think, because uh, if he clicks and they do a, a free agent corner outfielder and they get another reliever, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's fixing a lot of holes and that's fixing holes that other teams in the division don't necessarily have in the same way. Right. To like no other, the Braves 
and the Mets, they're not below replacement anywhere. <laughs> you know? Like they're all like, they're all like, should we go from being pretty good to better at a position? Whereas the Phillies are like, no, no, we are pretty bad. We're like really bad in three places. So they could they could kind of join the fray a little bit if uh, if Yearling uh, takes off because I just I don't I don't know that they have the prospect capital without giving up Bryson Stott Stott to go get a Cedric Mullins you know and I don't even know if they have it period <laughs> you know so uh, they 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 will be kind of working the waiver wire talking to Adam Hazley uh, trying to see what they believe from Matt Yearling and and doing everything they can to improve center field but. Uh, they, they, it's not impossible that they that they kind of play meaningful games in September next year. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair assessment. This is a team that could absolutely be a playoff team with the right adjustments, especially if, if the playoffs are the right expanded. Way. Yes, if you're the Phillies, you want expanded playoffs yeah. given the state <laughs> of the NL East right now. Let's go to the Nationals. The additions to the Major League roster, I think, are limited to Cesar Hernandez. Am I missing? It's all minor league guys otherwise, right? Uh, you yeah. Know, Michael Franco, uh, D. Gordon, just not guys that you're looking at and saying, yes, let's let's play those guys every day. Maybe, maybe you find one or two pieces on the roster, but of course, with the Trey Turner, Max Scherzer deal, shortstop, woefully thin right now. Left field, also a mess for the Nats. Anybody out there that's uh, able to play left field would be an upgrade for this team. Um, and I, I think Eno and I have talked about Lane Thomas before as someone who's interesting to get a chance, but also not the kind of guy you're really excited to be playing as an everyday guy if you're in their position. They did get Kiebert Ruiz back in the trade uh, with the Dodgers. Josiah Gray probably in the rotation. They've already promoted Luis Garcia, who I believe along with Wander Franco uh, are the only two players born uh, in the 2000s oh. or more recently in the big leagues. Shut so up. yeah, everyone, including us, feels old with that <laughs> one. They maybe have a pitching prospect. They developed Cade Cavalli on the brink of, of contributing, but they're at a bad spot right now. Like I I don't, even when I'm optimistic about health for Steven Strasburg or you know a Patrick Corbin bounce back, I don't like this next wave of young talent coming in enough to think that they're going to be able to hold their own in this division right now, given the strength of the first three teams we talked about, especially, and with a Marlins team that we're going to get to that's rapidly improving as well. So, Britt, what are they doing right now in D.C.? Are they entering the rebuild phase? And if so, like, what else are they going to do to start improving this roster for the long haul? So this is a team that I kind of feel like we should be not assessing now and assessing in like a month or two, because like Rizzo told me at the GM meetings, they weren't making any moves. The ownership didn't want to do anything until after the CBA to see what had happened. And I think you see that with teams like the Yankees. You see that with, you know, some teams on here have already had their offseason, the Mets pretty much. The Nats haven't yet. So I'm going to be a little more optimistic. I don't want to pile on a team that really hasn't started to kind of piece together anything. Um, to me, and I went on a Nats podcast yesterday and said the same thing. It's less about these young guys and how we feel about them right now. And more about, can they develop these players? Because, mm-hmm. you know, Eno and I have mentioned this before at nauseum, they don't have a good track record of developing players. And the only way for a team to kind of avoid this long, arduous rebuild of, you know, Baltimore Orioles, what they're doing right now is to develop guys is for guys that aren't on our radar to come out of nowhere, right. To guys to add pitches or add velo um, hitters to, you know, out kind of outplay their hand. And I don't see that 
right now. You know, what they need is Carter Keboom and Garcia to surprise all of us. And so far, they really haven't done that. And so I think the key here isn't so much like who the Nationals get or can Stevens Strasburg stay healthy. That contract is just going to probably be an albatross for them. I think the key is, like, is Robles ever going to be the guy to take a step forward? Like, are they going to develop these younger guys into anything that's going to resemble a, a solid core over the next couple of years, or are they going to have to keep tearing it down because they already tore it down in July. This is supposed to be um, kind of the time where they, Oh, look at all the prospects we got from trading everybody. And um, they're still not there yet. And I think the key is developing. You can't tank anymore and win. You can't just win through the draft. You have to develop guys. You have to find guys out of nowhere and they have not been able to do that. Yeah, 100% in agreement. I think everything depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rain. Uh, sorry. Uh, Carter Keboom at third. Uh, Luis Garcia, I think, can take that job from Alcides Escobar because Alcides Escobar was out of baseball, you know, not that long ago. And Luis Garcia, I think, maybe has the defensive chops. But Keboom, Garcia, and Robles, defensively, they're fine at their positions. It's the offense we're waiting for. And if they can't combine that offense, they're going to be backups uh, fairly soon. I mean, I don't know how much time, more time you can give them. Um, and this this may be the year. I, you know, Maybe they don't do much when they come back because they say, no, we need to give a year to all the kids and see which kids are good and then add after that. Uh, because after the end of this year, you would know a lot more about Josiah Gray in the, in the rotation, a lot more about Robles, uh, Garcia, and Keboom. Um, and a lot more about, you know, can you put something together quickly before you lose Soto? Um, and uh, so I think they may they may take, treat this year as a, as a year to finally just give all the youngsters as much burn as possible to know know who can stick and who can't. You know, age to level, I think Luis Garcia automatically is the most interesting of the Garcia, Keyboom, Victor Robles trio. We've seen less of him than we've seen of Robles at the big league level. And everywhere he's played, he's either been the youngest player in the league or one of the youngest players in the league ever since he entered the Nats system. So there's still, to me, more untapped potential in a player like that than there is in Carter Keboom, who's had a similarly small amount of plate appearances in the big leagues, but is 24. You know, And I think with Robles, it's the same kind of problem. We've seen a lot of Robles... I think this was you, Britt, that you said there was a there was a point after 2019, Robles popped the 17 homers that year. He was a great base stealer. I think fantasy people were really excited about him then for good reason. And it looked like he was going to really make good on, on all of his prospect appeal. It seemed like he dug more into trying to be a power hitter, right? Like that, and that didn't work. That's not who he is. Like he can get to power by just making good contact. He shouldn't sell out for power because it makes his overall approach start to break down. And I think that's exactly what we saw in the shortened season. And I thought we saw little glimpses of hope. A career-best walk rate last year, to me, is a sign that, that he's at least changing the approach a little bit. I'm wondering, though, if with a new hitting coach, you know, whatever he's been doing in the offseason, if you still, as someone who's seen a lot of those 1,200-plus career big league plate appearances, if you still have some optimism that Robles is fixable because that that is pretty important. If you fix Robles and you have a, a three to four war center fielder, that's a big difference than having 
replacement level guy out there. I think he's fixable. I think, again, it comes back down to my main point. The MVP of this Nats season is going to be the player development group. Can they figure out these guys? Can they get Keyboom, Garcia, Robles on track? And if they can, then you kind of like where the Nats are headed, right? Then you're like kind of optimistic about this. But the issue for them has been that they just don't ever have those secret gems. They don't have the seventh inning guy who develops. They don't have guys who come into their system and get better. And so that's what leaves me less optimistic is they don't have any case studies of, oh, this guy came to us. Anthony Rendon was terrible when we drafted him. And now look at him like, no, Rendon was can't miss. Strasburg was can't miss. Uh, You know, they bought Scherzer. They bought Corbin. They bought almost all of their 19 World Series team. So until they prove that they can do that, I'm going to be skeptical. Until they prove that they can turn these young players um, into bona fide major leaguers and, and kind of squeeze every ounce of their talent out, I'm going to be skeptical. And I think we've seen that some with Pittsburgh too, with some of the development issues. And I think that's what hampers um, a lot of these teams. Uh, You just have so much of a smaller margin for error because the expensive big market teams, the Dodgers are doing it right. Like the Yankees are doing it. Like these are teams that um, have really good farm systems and are able to develop players. And so it really puts you behind the eight ball. And I think the challenge for the Nats throughout the Mike Rizzo era, which, you know, you, you get a World Series win, that's why you're doing what you do, so you should be happy with that. But it's kind of like similar to what I, I think we've seen from Dave Dombrowski-led front offices in the past, where if you trade the young talent to go all in multiple times, but you can't develop more young talent, eventually over a 7- to 10-year stretch, you hit this point where you, you have to start over and it's very hard to start over when you go that route you have to change up a lot of things internally to start finding players again Uh, and I think with Strasburg and Harper I mean those were obvious one one picks those were right place right time so you can't you can't look at that and say well they got those two superstars well no like that, that just happened because they were bad and they were bad at the right time so I just see a lot of similarities between Rizzo and Dombrowski and their relative strengths and weaknesses as far as roster construction. And I think we're seeing we're seeing some fallout from the success that the Nats had and how they got there uh, at this point. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever. And that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network. You're there to look for jobs. You're there to post jobs. And how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. 
Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Let's get to the Marlins, though, before we go, because the Marlins are, are really interesting. They spent money a little bit with the Avi Garcia edition, a four-year deal for him. Made a couple of trades. Joey Wendell's there now. Jacob Stallings is a great defensive catcher, which will be good for that pitching staff, which continues to get better and better. And I think the clear need is just another healthy bat. You could put him almost anywhere on the field uh, because I don't believe in both Jesus Aguilar and Luan Diaz as being good, productive, everyday major league hitters start to finish in a big league season. So they need a bat for sure, if not more than one. Some losses, Jorge Alfaro traded to San Diego, Zach Thompson sent back to Pittsburgh as part of the Stallings deal. But this is a team that continues to bring up pitcher after pitcher, and they've got more coming. Max Meyer, Sixto Sanchez might finally be healthy. We saw Edward Cabrera last year he already debuted so they actually have young pitching to trade if they want to go out and make a deal with someone we saw it a couple of years ago with Zach Gallen going to Arizona in the Jazz Chisholm trade and here's the here's the thing about the Marlins that I did not realize until we were prepping for this show they had a new TV deal start last year and it's the Marlins it's not a massive TV deal but it's worth a reported 50 million per year so even if that's a a backloaded sort of deal they're back into a position where they can start spending more on payroll again. And if they don't, they should be criticized for it because there's more money in their their spending floor now as a result of that deal. So yeah, it's not a big splashy move most likely, but we talked about Conforto and Schwarber and some of those second tier guys that are out there that could make an impact. They should be players at that level at a bare minimum to continue addressing some of their needs because they can justify it and if they were in any other division, I think they'd have some sleeper appeal for the playoffs. I think it's more of an uphill battle because of the state of the NL East right now. But I look at this team and I'm actually pretty optimistic. You know, what, what's your take on where the Marlins sit as we move through the rest of the offseason? It's actually kind of funny. They have moved into this is good now. They are kind of the average team, you know, uh, by projections. They're right around 15th. Um, and then interestingly, with that $50 million TV payroll, they're kind of getting into the average TV deal. And that means that between money from Central, so the, 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 the big TV deals, like the national TV deals and their local TV deals, 
um, they should be bringing in about $110 million before they see a single dime from their own sponsorship deals, even the national sponsorship deals like FTX and so on, um, or from a single person attending the, a game. And right now their payroll is at $69 million for this coming season. So yes, you have to pay your executives and you have to pay minor leaguers and all that. I still think that they've got, you know, 20, 30 million dollars to play with. And, you know, the, the, the challenge for them is a little different than Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, they have these really obvious holes and they need to go and fix it. In if you look at the projections for the Marlins, they're basically league average everywhere, um, except for maybe the bullpen. Uh, that is, I think, something that has fallen by the wayside. But, you know, are they going to go get Kenley Jansen? Uh, that would be a, an interesting splash to make. That would definitely make an impact on a team that kind of needs more relievers. But they could also spread that money around and get Colin McHugh and Andrew Chafin and maybe um, some smaller deals. But I, I'm not sure that there's a great fit um, you know, money-wise in the bullpen. So I think you're right. I think Michael Conforto, Nick Castellanos, like, you know, somebody like that could uh, could push that offense and, and and increase their depth by pushing somebody like Brian De La Cruz or, or Jesus Sanchez to uh, a maybe role, you know, like a fourth outfielder. If he plays his way into, the, you know, as a starting role, that's fine. Or if he needs to go back down, that's fine. You know, I think that that's a good deal. So if I'm, if I'm in that front office, I'm happy. I go get Michael Conforto uh, and Colin McHugh and Andrew Chafin. Uh, and that's a decent way to spend thirty million dollars. Yeah, I like you know his plan. I also think you know if you gotta you gotta do a better job supporting these young pitchers. You gotta add some bats. You gotta add some kind of thump. Um, and no one's expecting them to go get a Carlos Correa, right? Like get some big, you know, the big free agent fish. But I think it is time for them to spend money. It is time for them to get. You know, big leaguers who aren't on the downside of their careers and, you know, kind of try to build something around these young players. I think that's important. I think getting a guy like Conforto, he helps the clubhouse. He helps that, you know, relatively young team and clubhouse kind of figure out, okay, we're not the same Marlins. Like we could win here. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it is unfortunate the division they're in because if they're in the NL Central, they're in the AL Central, right? We're talking about them being a sleeper pick. I, I think you're right. I think they're kind of boxed in. They're another team that should root for expanded playoffs. Um, they're a team who, you know, maybe if they pitch really well, like two years ago, could stumble in and surprise everybody. But they're not going to go anywhere if they don't, in my opinion, do a little bit better job of supporting the pitchers and getting um, some real offensive thump. Um, at least one guy, maybe even two, uh, depending on the rules and what they end up doing with the DH, I think it go a long ways towards really helping these guys um, and helping their development. They're more in play for players and free agency than you might think for the reasons we're saying. Even if we don't say that Correa to the Marlins is going to happen or Story to the Marlins is going to happen, it's not laughable for them to be an option for players like that. So that that's a pretty big shift in, in where the Marlins are at now compared to a few years ago. The thing I was surprised to see, they've actually run payrolls of $99 million or higher in three of the last 10 seasons. I believe that was all pretty much under the previous ownership group. There may have been one season with the Sherman group where they had that, but they've been paring it down for the last few years. It's time to ramp it back up again based on where they're at talent-wise. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm exci- at least excited to watch this Marlins team, which is not something I say each and every February, and especially for the last few off-seasons, that really hasn't been the story whatsoever. 
We have to go. Before we go, I should say pick up a subscription to The Athletic. You can get one 33% off at theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can find Britt on Twitter at Britt underscore Giroli. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Friday.